As Throthy and Clean would probably say, it's time for an experiment. Yes, yes. This is the Wargames Orchard. Welcome to the show. Today is just GJ and like I announced just now, I want to try out a little experiment with you guys. I don't have a topic prepared for today and the reason for that is that I'm just sitting at my desk currently and I'm painting. I'm doing some uh, lovely high elf models. Uh, the Gary Morley sculpts that were used for the Idol of, no, not the Idol of Brock. Oh, I keep messing up these names. The uh, Grudge of Drong campaign. And I'm just sitting here by myself painting, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to just talk a little bit while I'm painting? Um, usually, when I'm painting, I put on like a YouTube video or something like that, or a, a podcast. I uh, try to listen to something, sometimes I put on some music. Not always I can do that because my paint station is in the kitchen slash living room. It's, it's, it's in the kitchen, but it's adjoined to the living room. And when my wife is downstairs, she usually wants to watch TV or something. And then I can't really talk to anybody if somebody's online. Um, and today there was nobody online. I'm usually when I when I hang out, when I have time to hang out, I'm usually in the Crown of Command Discord group. Uh, however, of late, uh, not many people are there most of the time. So it's just uh, it's it's a bit hit hit or miss. Uh, sometimes you find like six seven people there all at once. Uh, from all over the world, which is great fun because you can talk about what everybody is doing, how it's going in everyone's hobby life, stuff like that. And sometimes there's just nobody there, like today. And then um, well, I talked to this a little bit about, uh, I discussed this with Nathan the other day. And I said, well, how about we just try out something like this, just a little hobby hangout uh, where I just talk, hopefully not just to myself, um, but not to anybody who wants to listen really. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the elf I'm painting, this elf model, and maybe this would work better with a video, but I don't really have a good video set up. Um, something with a camera that, that works from above. Maybe I should do that in the future. And then we can also do something like a live stream through YouTube or something like that. But that might be way too ambitious. Let's just see for now if this works. If this is something that you would enjoy listening to. So at the moment, I am painting up this high elf hero um, whose name in the Verge of Drawn campaign is Arda. I keep messing up also these elf names. I'm terrible at names, as you probably if you've listened to the podcast a couple of times, then you will know that I always mess up names of people and places and things, both in the real world and in the Warhammer world. Um, all that is for me easy to remember because there's this uh, 
One of the movies that I liked as a kid was the 1999 uh, Mummy movie with uh, Brandon Fraser. And one of the characters in that movie is uh, Arvid uh, with an E. And this elf is spelled exactly the same except with an, uh, with an A or two A's on top. And I recently, about a year ago or so, um, actually because of Nathan, I watched some of the old 1930s black and white monster movies. And one of them was the original Mummy movie. And it's, it was nice to see that the, the main antagonist, uh, the mummy himself, uh, he is uh, Imhotep, who was actually a real priest in ancient Egypt. Um, but when he is in his more modern human form, not the uh, toilet paper roll Imhotep, then he calls himself Ardad. So they kept that name and just gave it to another character in the 1999 remake. So all that is the elf that I am painting up now. I'm currently working on his horse. These are those lovely fourth and fifth edition horses. They are very elf-like, very regal. They do have some details on them, um, but they are not overly complex. Uh, and the good thing about these elves is that horses are separate from the riders. Um, the first elf cavalry I painted up were the Island of Blood, Illyrian uh, Reavers, and they came in two halves, and each half consisted of half of the horse and half of the rider, and then you had to put them together and you got the full assembled model, which is uh, not really that much of a joy to paint. Uh, these horses are much simpler and because the character is separate, you can just uh, do them separate. Now, what I usually do with these, with these characters and with other cavalry models that I paint is that I put the horse on a base, um, and the base that I use is usually like a, a medicine pill bottle or something like that. Um, I also have a couple of those old black plastic cylinders that you could put uh, photo camera rolls in back in the day before everybody had a digital camera in their smartphone and uh, those make great painting handles i just put some putty on top uh, stick the horse on and they sit nice in your hand i also use some uh, champagne forks for that but I found that the putty doesn't stick too well to the champagne corks. The material is not, it is not adhesive enough and it does, however, stick well to the plastic. So that's why I prefer putting them on uh, plastic pill bottles or like uh, vitamin bottles, stuff like that. Um, and for the elf itself, I, this is, this is a metal elf, but it works just as Plastic. I just have this little Dremel tool, uh, but you could also use a hand drill. And I use a one millimeter drill and just drill a hole straight up into his saddle from below uh, up into his bottom. And then I glue him on a piece of paper clip 
that I stretched out and the paperclip I stick into a, a, one of those champagne corks. Um, if I need some extra stability, I put the champagne cork on a sort of wooden uh, or um, cardboard, on a cardboard square or cardboard base. Um, I either glue it on or put it on uh, with a tack from underneath. And then you have your elf sitting snugly on that uh, on that wire. And the only problem with this is if you want to take the wire out in total, then uh, you might have to use a little bit of force and that can damage the paint job. So what I like to do with these elves is just also drill a hole in the saddle of the horse and clip off the pin and then um, use the pin to set the elf on the horse. You can glue it in place and you can take it off again. Or you can just keep it there and uh, uh, well you, you can no let me get back on that too. I, I think you get what I mean. You can either glue it or not and if you don't glue it you can take it off for transport or for um, putting him on a on a on a monster or something like that. I did it with my inbreak on dragon. I just uh, pinned him and I did the same with my High Elf Mage, Pinton as well. So now I can put either Imbrick with his Lance in the Dragon, or I can put a Mage on top, which is nice because in 8th edition, for example, you have those uh, Dragon Mage characters that you can use. So yeah, that's um, one of the things that's uh, sort of a little hobby trick, I guess, that I I don't know if I read it somewhere, picked it up, or um, discovered it myself. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people do this, so I'm definitely not going to claim uh, copyright on it or something like that. Um, this is just a find that this helps me out, and uh, maybe you can it can help you out too. Another thing that I always do is I try to keep the shield separate from the model that I am painting. Um, shields can be a little bit tricky to, to paint because uh, you do want them sitting on something sturdy. So I've, I've not really come across what I think is one single best way to do this. Um, I had a couple of Lizardosaurus shields that I painted uh, around uh, January last year. And those I just simply, I, I uh, painted the, the back of it, uh, probably even airbrushed them, and painted the backs and then put uh, some of that same poster tag, some of the same putty underneath, and then glued them to, uh, one of the but stuck them to these, large wooden strips, long wooden strips that I have. They're like the plinths that you put on a uh, on the floor, on the edge of the floor. Uh, I had some stuff left over from that from when we bought and renovated the house. So I used a couple of strips of that and these make some great, nice, clean, flat surfaces to put your miniatures on. You can also use strips of cardboard probably or maybe some uh, 
some some strips of wood uh, just be sure that the wood is clean and it doesn't splinter it's all smooth because otherwise you will probably get some splinters in that poster tag and that will mess it up eventually but then again it's not that big of an investment especially compared to some of the other things that we tend to get in the hobby what I'm doing now with this elf is I'm trying to paint it as close as I can to what you might call box art. Uh, these elves came in a blister, so they don't really have box art, but they are represented in the army book. I have the fourth edition, I believe, fifth edition. Check real quick. Now, this is fifth edition high elf army book. I have it open sitting here on my lap. And I just keep glancing at the back and forth between the miniature and um, the, the picture of the miniature. And I'm just trying to emulate and replicate these colors that have been used as close as I can. Although I do tend to give them my own twist as well, uh, just to tie them in with the rest of my army. One of the things I do with my high elves is that I give their chainmail a bit of a glaze, and for that I use, uh, in the case of most of the elves, I use a very thinned down sky blue ink. Now, when I started with Warhammer, uh, sky blue ink was no longer in the was no longer available. I started at the beginning of 6th edition, so around about the, the year 2000. Um, it was uh, Sky Blue Ink was no, no longer available, but I got two pots of it at a discount, I believe, at some point. Some, some store was uh, selling off the remaining stock. And it is a very nice, intense sort of Blue. It's also a, a one of those inks that has a lot of pigment in it, so you can't really use it undiluted. If you don't dilute it, then it's it's almost paint in and of itself. It does let some of the lower colors shine through. I have on my palette here, for example, I, I have the I have here a blob of sky blue sitting on top of a bit of silver and a bit of gold. And it's mostly just blue with some brown streaks shining through. So it's a very pigmented ink, but it's it's great if you thin it down for glazing and for for washing. If you want that blue shiny effect, so what I usually do with my elf armor is that I paint it. Um, I think usually chainmail, sometimes even mithril silver. I still use the the old names for the paints, even though. They no longer exist. Also, for those, I have some pots that are not quite empty yet. Trying to get the most of them before I move on to the newer paints, the later equivalents. So I put, just put down a base coat of uh, yeah, either chainmail or mutual silver. Then I wait for it till it's dry, give it a wash of the uh, thin down sky blue ink. And then one, maybe two, depending on how well I did on the thinning down parts, and try brushes of mitra silver to get that nice silvery um, shine on it. 
and that will just leave a little bit of the blue shining through in the recesses, giving it a slightly bluish, I'm not going to say ethereal, but a slightly different look than if you would just use plain silvers and uh, maybe a black ink to uh, to get those those details and those highlights in. I usually reserve this for chainmail because on larger surfaces it doesn't really work well. And sometimes with the swords they look better if you uh, have that black look at the base. That's what I'm doing with all that sword here as well. I'm just giving him a a, a metal colored sword, silver colored sword. And that one I build up starting with bolt gun metal or the well, that one is finished for me, so it's the uh, more modern equivalent of lead belcher. And then I gave it a wash of black ink and then building up with chainmail and mitral silver towards the uh, edges and the tip of the sword. So, yeah, there are many ways that you can do this. And like I said, there's no really one right way for you to do this. There are many ways in that. Uh, Every army is, of course, uh, unique, and then the painter puts his own style and his own uh, identity into those miniatures. And that's one of the things that's also very lovely about Warhammer, is you can really get your own creativity going. At the moment, I am on to the gold. Um, for the gold, I'm using well, all my gold, all my old gold, citadel ink pots have either emptied or dried out. So, for the gold, I am using the more modern equivalents. Um, at some point, near the end of my studies, I believe uh, the citadel re revamped completely, revamped a paint range and they had these mega paint sets um, which is like a cardboard cabinet with six drawers and each drawer holds eight rows of three paints or, or inks or glazes or whatever the stuff they had in those days. So I, um, I thought well if they're not going to put out uh, the same paints that I have, I might as well just buy this new set. Uh, I did that back then. And now I'm using the golds that were in that set. I'm just doing... Uh, it's called Balthasar Gold for the base, and then going up with uh, Johanna's Gold, and lastly, it's, I believe, Auric Armor Gold. And if you Translate that to the old colors that I think most of our listeners will probably be familiar with. That would be um, shining gold and burnished gold. And there's no real equivalent for the base paint about such gold. But uh, yeah, you could just uh, put an ink on there or something like that. I'm still thinking a little bit about how I'm going to do it with this gold because some bits are shiny and golden and other bits are they have some reddish shine on it. 
and I think they did that by using the Chestnut Ink. Um, chestnut Ink is one of my all-time favorite inks, and I still have half a pot left. I use it very sparingly, only reserve it for those uh, really important centerpiece models like Setra uh, for my Tomb Kings. It's a really great way to give gold this this tarnished look and I also used it a lot back in the day for uh, washing browns or uh, the skin on horses uh, stuff like that it's a great paint for that as well and sadly I have not found an exact equivalent for it yet it probably doesn't exist uh, but there is a an ink that gets in the vicinity and that is um, Liquitex. They uh, they have this paint range. I had not heard of it until I was researching prevalence for chestnut ink. And Liquitex has a an ink called Burnt uh, Sierra, and that is what I'm going to use on this model. It gives you this bit of reddish yellow hue. I think that you can. Put on the gold, and usually I use what I usually do, or what people usually do, is you put on the base coat and then uh, do the ink wash and restore the base coat and go up to the highlights. But for this, there are a couple of pieces on his armor that have that chestnut glow on it uh, very prominently. So what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to first paint all the gold with just base coat, highlight and another highlight. And then I'm going to wash these specific parts with the chestnut ink equivalent. Um, this is just, uh, I have no idea if this is going to work, so this is just me experimenting, which I guess kind of fits with the title of this episode. By the way, um, I'm also very keen to hear and to learn and to know about what you're doing. So if you are on Instagram, for example, you can just simply tag the Wargames Orchard. We have an Instagram account. Uh, I'm the one who is keeping up with it. Then I usually just post stuff that's portrait related, like uh, when I have a new paint challenge or when we have a new podcast out. Um, so just simply tag us, tell us what you're up to, uh, or maybe use like a, a hashtag, WarGamesOrchard Podcast. I don't know if anybody has already claimed that or if it's already been in use or not. It doesn't really matter anyway. So yeah, that's just... Um, a couple of things how you can get involved with us and we would love to know what what you are up to, what you're doing um, and also of course concerning the podcast, what you like and what you don't like. So please give us your feedback and I've gotten a lot of great feedback on those campaign episodes I did and Nathan was also very happy with them. So he said, well, just uh, whenever you feel like it, just record something and you can put it out there. 
And I also passed this idea of him just uh, chat a little bit while I'm painting. I'm not sure if this is something that you're going to like or not. Maybe this is going to be one of those experiments where you say, well, we did it once, we tried it, it didn't work. And as a scientist, I can say that's not a failed experiment. A successful experiment is just that the result is we're not going to continue this. And if you like this, then well, whenever I have something to talk about, I'll just, uh, and of course, I'm in the, uh, I have the opportunity, I uh, will just uh, turn on the microphone, chat away, talk a little bit about elf uh, horses or orc shamans or whatever is, is on my painting desk at the time. Speaking, by the way, of painting elves, um, the reason that I'm painting these heroes is because I am participating in the Gathering of Mighty Painters Challenge. If you don't know about that, you can check it out. On, and this is uh, all written together, the Burping Dragon in .wordpress.com. So uh, you can track our progress there. We have to uh, post up monthly pics of the stuff that we did and uh, if we see if we can meet our, our targets and everything. Um, so far I've met all of mine, although it was a little bit tricky one month uh, when I was dealing with some illness, but even then I still managed to put out what I needed to put out, which was uh, a monster of the dragon that India wrote. So yeah, I'm painting high elves for this challenge and um, someone who is also participating in this challenge is uh, Joshua, our good friend from the Crown of Command podcast. And Joshua is also painting high elves. And I was talking to him a little bit about it and at some point he said, well, you know what the trick is to paint in white on those high elves? You don't start off with with white or with gray, but you get uh, a verdigris on them. And I've been doing that ever since. I just, it's really easy to do it and it looks very good. Um, not my painting per se, but the color combination. I would never have come up with something like that by myself and I think most other people probably also would not. So I'm just putting this out there. I got a bottle of verdigris paint from uh, Alejo and I just base coat my whatever I want white like the, uh, the body of the horse or the cloth of the elves, the tunics. Uh, I just base coat it with that verdigris uh, which is uh, sort of greenish blue, pale greenish blue color, the, the color of rusted copper, if you've sometimes seen that, so you probably have. And then you just simply go over that with white, um, the same way that you would highlight a regular piece of cloth, so leave the vertically showing in the deepest folds. And you probably also need a couple of passes with white to get covered, at least I do with the Citadel whites that I'm using. But other than that, you can probably get the best white results the quickest way if you do it like this. It's been a real game changer for me. 
So yeah, I've been uh, doing that now. I painted all the white on my elves that way. Um, I still have to go back and revisit some of the elves I started before the challenge, but haven't yet finished. I have some uh, Lord and Seaguard still sitting out there, half painted. Uh, I had a unit of 20 of them with two command groups, basically two times the Island of Blood starter set elves. I believe I had all those elves two times, except for the uh, wizard and the, the prince on the griffin, I saw them both off. I might still have a wizard somewhere, waiting for it to get sold, so I'm not sure that I sold or not. But yeah, so um, uh didn't really need uh, those characters because there are plenty of other cool wizard models. I also... Uh, have Altharion on his griffin, so I already have two high off griffins, which is probably more than enough. And a couple of dragons, um, some of the 8th edition phoenixes. I'm still missing a couple of special characters for my high elves. I would really love to get my hands on uh, the Ever Queen and her maiden guard. I still need to get my hands on the 8th edition handmaiden, uh, the hero level character. Um, I think Karadrian is also one that I still need. I need Alif Anar. So it's mostly special characters and that goes for for most of my armies. My goal is to have at one point uh, every miniature represented. So not necessarily every miniature of every edition, but um, to have every special character and every normal character and every unit and monster that you can play in the game to have at least one, uh, sometimes preferably multiples of them so that I can just, uh, yeah, basically field any army that is out there that's possible to some of those old Campaigns, battle reports, stuff like that. Uh, there are some lovely battle reports in the old 5th edition of 4th edition army books. Uh, also in the White Dwarfs. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a dream of mine to do, have that at some point, but that's still a long way off. Still need to get um, a lot more stuff for that. Uh, especially duplicates and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, just... Uh, I'm not in a rush, I'm keeping my eyes out, uh, play, uh, playing the waiting game, seeing what's out there and what I can get my hands on for a decent price. Uh, sometimes you miss out on a deal and uh, yeah, that's too bad, but experience has taught me that there's always another deal. And I'm also not against using third party models. I have some... Um, uh, Oatmark Dwarfs that I'm going to use as my Dwarf Elites, the Hammers and the Iron Breakers. I have some very miniatures, Light Cavalry and Foot, Foot Folk that I'm going to use as Mounted Squires and Men at Arms uh, for my Bretonia army. So yeah, there's, uh, there's always possibilities out there. The only exception that I make to this rule are the special characters. I do want them to be the original models. And there are some models, of course, that are 
hard to find a suitable replacement for. I'm thinking, for example, about the 8th edition Sepulchral Stalkers and Necropolis Knight for the Tomb Kings, those were those uh, snake-like beasties that you had. Um, I have not found a suitable replacement for them. So if anybody knows anything like that, something that you can use for that, then I would be very interested to learn about that. Um, and otherwise, I'm just waiting and hoping that whenever Games Workshop releases the old world, they will put out those old molds. They will at least start getting out those old armies before everything is fresh and new and rebranded. Basically the same thing that they did with Age of Sigmar. Uh, just first use the old Warhammer models and then slowly replace the, the ranges. So yeah, that's, uh, but that's just me hoping and don't quote me on that. There's probably no truth to this statement whatsoever. I don't even know if Games Workshop still has those old molds. Uh, they still use them. Um, the only thing I can say is that, well, they might. If I were them, I would have kept them, especially seeing what the prices are doing on the second-hand market for all of this out-of-production GW stuff. They should just be making those available again, or at least on, a, on maybe like a rotational basis, made to order, something like that. Uh, the prices for some of these are crazy. You're paying like 150 euros for a sealed box of three of those Necropolis Knights. So imagine if you want a unit of six of them and a unit of six of the other uh, Sepulchral Stalkers that you could also make from that set. That's um, yeah, going to be a very expensive army. So uh, yeah, I do hope that uh, at some point in the preferably the near future we will see a re-release of those sets. But I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, I don't know what's going on at the GW marketing department. I know that a lot of people ask this, and this is not me complaining about GW. This is just uh, uh, well, okay, it is sort of me complaining about GW, but uh, I don't want to be too negative here. It's just that I don't really understand their, their policy. Um, they have all this great stuff that people want, and they create an artificial scarcity which drives up the prices on the second hand market. And yeah, they don't see a dime of any of that. So why would you produce stuff that will um, enrich people that are not you? That's, that's I think that's not a very smart company policy. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm not in the board of directors at GW. I have no idea. What's the reasoning behind this? I know that they're even aware of this or can't be that they're not aware of it. I'm sure of it. But yeah, it's if if it were me, I would have done things different. I'm not saying that I have all the correct answers here. And 
Uh, this is also purely in my own interest, of course, because I play basically only Warhammer. Uh, I, I have played some Mordheim a couple of times, and I really enjoyed that game too, but it's the same problem. All those Mordheim units, they, different uh, Mordheim warbands, they are being sold for ridiculous prices. Um, yeah, that's, uh, Well, maybe I should just stop complaining here and just uh, focus on what I'm doing with this horse. So for these high elf horses, I, I have there are I, I like batch painting. Let me let me put that out there first. And um, I am doing a couple of mounted characters. More or less simultaneously. Well, I do them sequentially because the characters are different, but I did uh, undergo them all at the same time and I did do the horses at the same time. I painted the horses at the same time, at least um, as far as their fur was concerned. So, what I did is I just, uh, I have an airbrush and I'm really happy with that. I did not use the airbrush very often because um, I, I had it for about a year and I just had trouble mixing the right consistency of the paint. It was either too thin and flowy or just simply clogged up the brush and, and I had to open it up and rinse it out and get paint everywhere. and. Yeah, that wasn't a fun experience, and of course, hobby is supposed to be fun and relaxing. So, uh, about a year after that, uh, I got the airbrush for my birthday, um, sank some own money in it as well, because airbrushes are rather expensive, if you don't know that. But uh, then, a year after that, I was thinking about maybe getting a 3D printer or something like that, because all the cool kids seem to have one. And then I thought, well, maybe I should just focus on what I have and improve that. So instead of a 3D printer, I got a paint set from, um, what's it called? Got a flyer right here from the Army Painter. They have this whole, um, uh, sorry, I don't know if you hear that, but uh, one of my kids just started crying. I, if she doesn't calm down, then I might have to rush upstairs, and that will probably be the end of this podcast. But usually, after a sudden start at waking up, uh, she calms down a little bit and goes back to sleep, finds a pacifier again. So I got this army painter set, uh, which is a lot of paints. I haven't even counted them, over 100 or 130 something. And these paints are already in the right consistency for airbrushing. And you also um, get a similar system as GW has, a color triad with a base, a mid-tone, and a highlight. So I just put those in the airbrush, and I, I don't use all the correct color triads. I mix them up a little bit. And I use that to approximate the color of the horses that I saw in the army books. Um, this is a really quick way to get those horses done, and then of course you only have to paint details like body and cloth, 
the saddle and all the ornaments and uh, the manes and, and uh, those little tufts of hair they have around the feet and the hooves and all those little details that uh, that are just a little bit different to the plain base color. But you can get really good results with that. And what I did with the horses to give them a little bit more definition was I also gave them, uh, some of them I gave a watch with with an ink, like a, a flesh shade or a sepia tone ink, brown ink, and um, others, or, or sometimes even the same horses, I just highlighted up a tiny little bit, just the, the raised areas on the rump and the, the flanks and the shoulders and the neck, and of course around the face, um, just to get a little bit more contrast there, a little bit more detail. Well, it seems the prices with my kit has been averted, so that's fortunate. Yeah, it might be that my wife has gone through her. She's uh, she's already gone upstairs, and I think I should do the same as well. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's hear your thoughts about this. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode, this sort of impromptu. Well, I'm not going to say mini episode because I've been talking for 40 minutes. But I do like to know what you what you think about this. Uh, just me rambling on. Is it something that you would like to listen to more often, or is this going to be that experiment that has failed? That uh, uh, that probably unclean can throw uh, right into the garbage and not look at again for the foreseeable future. Thank you very much for listening. And of course, as always, have a great week.